0: just keep your heads bowed for a moment stay standing if you would if you'd be so inclined just maybe lift up your hands as just a sign of that song that we just sang, I Surrender oh Father we come before you today and we're so grateful that you loved us so much that you sent your only son your only begotten son for our sins, that whoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift. And God, we just take this moment and we say thank you. We don't take it for granted. We revel in the fact that you love us so deeply. And we ask God for your Holy Spirit. Today, it may not be in eloquent words, God, it may not be in a cleverly designed sermon, but God, your power supersedes all of that, your presence supersedes all of that, and you can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to the work that is within us. His name, Jesus. So, we love you, God, and we give this time to you, we set it aside. And we ask you to hollow it, consecrate it, make it special. Changes conform us so that when we leave this place, your kingdom advances. And this we pray as the church. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Happy New Year. Look at your neighbor and tell them, Happy New Year so good to see your faces. You know, it's a crazy time. The reality is there's a, a ton of you in this room, but I'm also speaking to people that are on Facebook Live or, or they're watching on Vimeo or Roku or, or maybe they're on our app. But the reality is I'm also speaking to people that uh, through our podcast on iTunes or, or Archer could at any time be listening to this message. And so wherever you are and, and whenever you are listening to this message, I just believe it's not an accident, that God has you here. God is speaking to you, speaking to us, and so I, I want you to know that wherever you are and whatever you're doing in this moment, God God has designed this time for you, and so I'm so thankful and so honored and so privileged, you know, just to be uh, just to be a part of that, part of that journey for you. Well, we're in the gospel of John, as you know, and the, the scripture that I want you to all listen to, take note of, memorize, is this one, John 20, 31, where he explains why he wrote the gospel. Now, he already had three other gospels written, the synoptic gospels were already written, he probably had read them, but he felt like he needed to write his gospel, and he says, this is why it was written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So why do we study the Gospel of John? Why are we digging into the Gospel of John? And, I, and maybe I'm sounding like a broken record, but it's because I want you to have tools. If John, the beloved, the one that, was so close to Jesus, felt it necessary to write this gospel, and he wrote it so that others would believe in Jesus, then there are tools in this gospel that will help us lead others to the Lord. Maybe you're here today, and, and, and again, maybe you are not even a follower of Jesus necessarily, but it's a great day to listen in because this gospel tells you why it's so important to believe in Jesus. And all throughout his gospel, John is going to be describing and explaining um, how Jesus is the Son of God. Like, He is God the Son. He is the answer. He is the antidote. All throughout His gospel, you're going to see it. It, Ironically, in this gospel, there are no parables. These are the acts of Jesus. And so today, um, we're... I'm titling this message, and I spent a lot of time on it. Uh, It's called Out of Wine. Isn't that just an amazing title? I know you're just stunned by it. Certainly memorable. You'll probably never forget it. Out of Wine. We're going to be looking at John 2, 1 through 12, and then later, John 13, 1 through 17. As Greg said, we are going to be um, taking the Lord's Supper together, and I'm very excited for that. And if you're at home, please grab, you know, cracker, bread, some kind of carb, and something To drink, and we're gonna celebrate uh, the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection at the end of the service. But let's dig right in. John uh, chapter one, or uh, chapter two, is where we're gonna start. And um, as we get started, I wanna just kinda let you know how many of you in this time where we've been stuck in our houses more than normal find yourself getting up and walking to a room for something? And then you get in that room and you have forgotten in 20 feet what you went to that room for. Am I the only one that has been doing that during this time? I do that eight times a day. I walk into a room and I'm like, why am I here? What did I come into this room for? Like just 10 seconds ago, I got up with a really good reason to walk into this room and I've already forgot. It happened last night. I walked out, you know, I went out in the garage. Not, not just in a room, but I actually went out into the garage. And I got out there, and I'm like, why am I here? What am I doing here? So I've decided every time I do that, I'm doing five push-ups. Just if I walk into a room and I forget, it's five. Either I'm going to get real sharp, or I'm going to get in shape, one or the other. But sometimes we, we can forget some real basic things. We can forget the basics, and I love John because John, in his gospel, he brings us back to the foundation, the basics. And I was reading this article and it was talking about, in storms, what, what, what sailboats or what boats do when there's a storm coming. And I always thought what they did is they just hunker in tight to the dock, you know, and, and hope that the boat and the dock are still there the next day. But they don't. They actually journey out into the deeper water and they set their anchor deep. For every foot of of line that they drop into that deep water, there's five feet of slack so that that boat can move. It's anchored, but it can still move. And it's not going to be, you know, blown apart or, or hitting the dock or hitting other boats. But it's anchored in the deep. And that is my heart today. My heart's passion, my heart's cry today is that we remember that we can journey out into the deep and anchor ourselves to Jesus. And that whatever storm may come, whatever journey we may face, he's there. And he is deeper than any of our trials and any of our struggles. He is deeper than that. And that's my heart today. I hope you hear that. And there was a man that experienced that, and as I've studied this little section of Scripture in John 2, I've recognized that that there is, in particular, is is a man in this story that experienced a storm, And, and we'll get to that. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. We don't know who the wedding was. It doesn't say. I mean, we know Nathaniel was from Cana, so could it be a relative of his? Uh, Could it be one of Jesus' brothers, a family member? We don't know, but we know that Mary was obviously involved in the wedding. We know Jesus and his disciples were invited to it. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. By the way, you're probably wondering, that's why I titled it Out of Wine. They ran out of wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, which is a respectful term, used it at the cross, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour? My hour has not yet come. A few things of note. Number one, when Jesus said, My hour, my hour has not yet come. Whenever he refers to my hour, he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about his death. And so he's saying to his mother, it's, it's not time yet. Because as soon as I throw my hat into the ring, the principalities and the powers, the, the powers that be are going to converge. My hour has not yet come. Oh, it would come, but it was not now. And as soon as he tipped his hat, it was game on. And so the second thing of note is the phrase, they have no wine. They ran out of wine. I want you to understand we, we sometimes can read these stories and we lose the cultural context by which they were written. There is probably nothing more significant than that phrase in this story. They ran out of wine. And here's why. One day, probably, when the groom uh, was young... His parents probably decided on a family that they liked, and there was a young lady that um, they saw maybe being raised the way that they liked, and, and their family was close, and, and, and they began to believe that maybe this woman would be the one that their son would marry. It's how, how weddings happened in Jesus' day. A lot of times, it was, it was more of an arranged wedding, however, the son did have a say in the matter, and at some point, he would probably have given his consent to the bride. And as, uh, as they began this process, there was what was called the betrothal process. And the betrothal was so important, so significant, that in order to break it, you had to write up a certificate of divorce. That's how binding it was. But at some point during this process, this groom would write up a document, a covenant, a contract called a ketubah. And in the ketubah, it was the promises he was making to his bride all the things he was going to do for his bride. And part of what he would have written in this covenant and in this contract is, I will prepare a place for you. I will have a home that you can come to. I will be faithful to you. As a matter of fact, it was you were more in jeopardy if you were to uh, have sexual relations with someone during the betrothal than even after you were married. Because it was during the betrothal that you were proving your love. And the fact that you would cheat on your betrothed during that process was unthinkable and sometimes even brought on the death penalty. And so this process was not insignificant. And the things that he was writing in this contract and in this covenant were very important. And this would have been something that her family, her father, they would have looked at. There would have been prices to be paid, the bride price. There would have been a promise of a dwelling and a place. There would have been a commitment to love. It would have been all of that. But part of that covenant part of that contract would have been, we will take care of the wedding feast. A days-long celebration in which friends and family were invited to celebrate with the bride and groom. And part of that covenant, that contract that was sealed by the drinking of wine, at some point, if they accepted the covenant, the, the groom would drink a cup of wine, take a, cup, a sip out of it, and then he would offer it to his bride. And, and when he did that, he was saying, when he took that cup of wine, he was saying, I would shed my life for you. And then he would offer it to the bride, and if she took it, she was saying, I too would give my life for you, and it sealed it. So at some point during this celebration, can you imagine the groom walking out and looking at the container of wine? Day one, we're doing great. Day two, awesome. Day three, uh uh-oh. I promised something here. Was he going around saying, I think you've had too much to drink, you know, I think you need to slow down, pump the brakes a little bit here. You see, at some point, he was concerned that he was not going to keep up his end of the bargain, his end of the covenant, his end of the contract. But I promised. Now, was Mary watching? Was she observing this too? I I don't know. I I think she had her own issues with her betrothal. I mean, if we're being honest and if we're telling the story accurately, I think we would know that Mary did not probably have the wedding feast she had desired, nor did Joseph. In fact, there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of pain associated with their marriage. I think she was probably tuned in to this whole process, and out of deep empathy and concern and love for this bride and groom, she she saw the issue. She saw the problem, and so she, she went to her son, and she said, they're out of wine, This groom is not fulfilling his end of the bargain. He has extended his resources. He has extended what he has, and it has fallen short. You see, it was more than a picture of a bride and groom, it was really a picture of Israel. They had run out of wine. All their works, all their sacrifices was not enough. They had run out of wine. And John is beautifully illustrating what it means to run out of wine. What it means when you can't keep your end of the bargain, when you can't fulfill the contract, the ketubah. And so here's what happens. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. That's faith. Because what did Jesus say? Woman, my time, my hour is, is not yet here. It's not yet come. And yet, mom knows her boy. And she knows that he has listened to her and Joseph, that he has been an honorable son, that he has even learned and grown in wisdom and stature through their parenting. And so he says, whatever he says to do it, do it. And so it says there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Okay, I want you to picture that. Six water pots for purification. 20 or 30 gallons apiece. That's the magnitude. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with the water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made into wine and did not know where it came from, but listen, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. Who knew? Who knew? The servants knew. Did the bride? Did the groom? Did the The master of the ceremony, the servants knew where it came from. The master of the feast called the bridegroom who is in a panic, who is sweating profusely, who is feeling like a failure, who is in his head saying, you did not do well enough. You fell short. (laughs) Wouldn't you have liked to have seen his face? And he said to him, Hey, everyone at the beginning sets out the good wine. And the, when the, the, the guests are well drunk, then the inferior. Not you. <laughs> not, not you. Who's he talking to? The bridegroom. He didn't say, Not Jesus, not the ceremony master. Not the Father, but you. The one who was feeling like a failure, the one who was feeling shame, the one who was feeling less than is now being singled out. You have kept the good wine until now. All of a sudden, this person that, that had failed was no longer a failure. Not because of anything he did. Not because he went out and crushed a bunch of grapes in a hurry. Not because he was able to go buy some more wine. But a gift. We don't even know that he knew where it came from. But all of a sudden, there's good wine, and he's no longer a failure. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, they were all there at the wedding. uh, And they did not stay there many days. See, this was the beginning of signs. You may have heard mythology, historical, that Jesus, when he was a baby, did all these miracles. And No, no, no. This, according to the Word of God, was the beginning of his miracles. At a wedding where a bridegroom had failed, a bridegroom had fallen short, A bridegroom was not able to fulfill his contract or his covenant. That was his first first miracle. Now, I want to ask you a question. Apart from Jesus, who took part in the miracle? Apart from Jesus. Anyone? Huh? Servants. Servants. The servants. How many gallons in each of these pots? Twenty to thirty gallons in each one of them. And it's not like now where we go get a hose, we bring it over, and there we go. They're going to a well, and they're bringing this water to these pots. It's work. The master of the ceremony didn't know. We don't know who else knew, but we know this. The servants knew where it came from, and they took part in the miracle. I want you to remember that as we move forward, because all of us are like the bridegroom, every one of us. We all come to the end of our, our, ourselves, and we experience the pain of emptiness and inadequacy, we know what it feels like to feel like a failure. We know what it feels like that despite all of our best effort, we fall short. And we feel that pain. We feel that pain when we fall short. When we sin, when we lie, when we steal, when we cheat, when we lust, when we are covetous, when we envy we come to the end of ourselves as, as hard as we try, we know what it feels like, that, that pain. And physical pain is indicative of a physical problem, but a soul pain is indicative of a soul problem. And that's what I'm talking about today is a, a soul problem, a soul pain. When, when we're physically in pain, we can usually identify it. Several years ago, whenever I would go running, inevitably, um, my feet would start to hurt. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. I felt, uh, I felt like maybe I'd pulled a tendon or um, somehow I had bruised the bottom of my feet, but they, they just hurt. And then I thought, well, you are getting older, so maybe it's just that. And then finally my wife said, why don't you, because she had discovered what's called good running shoes, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, there are good running shoes and there are bad running shoes. Steve had bad running shoes. Well, it just so happens I have some friends that own a, a shoe shop, and I got these wonderful little shoes called Solomon's, trail running shoes, See, all along, I thought that there was a tendon out, there, you know, that there was a, a rock bruise, that I had a planter's wart, or I didn't know what was going on. And I tried a lot of different things to try to help my feet. But I misdiagnosed the problem physically. All I needed was a decent pair of running shoes. Now I've got about six pairs, you know, the, the, whose treads are at various... You know, shaved off at various lengths because I found some good running shoes, because I finally found the answer to the physical problem. But we also have a soul problem. And we can also misdiagnose that soul problem. We can think that it's one thing when it's something else. My soul is full of trouble. I am a man without strength. This is one of the sons of Korah describing his bleak situation. Have you ever been there where you're empty? You're out, out of wine. You're at the end. That's a soul problem. It's not a physical problem. It's a deep down soul problem. And he was experiencing this my soul is full of trouble. I have no strength left in me. And then moving on, I love this quote out of the book Soul Keeping. When my soul is centered in God, it'll gravitate toward externals to satisfy, satisfy its craving, to things, conquests, or experiences. But there's nothing you can buy, acquire, or experience that can give your soul the peace that it craves. See, because we've misdiagnosed our problem. We think that somehow some conquest, some experience, some stuff will make it better. But just like me with these running shoes, we've misdiagnosed the problem. Those things will never be enough. St. Augustine said, it's the restlessness in us. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So what's the cure if all the stuff, all the things we do, the conquests, the experiences, if those are not the the things that are going to really help our soul, then what is it? What is it that will help our soul, that deep hurt, that deep ache, that deep longing, that deep sense of failure, that running out of wine? What's the cure? Well, you know, you're probably thinking he's going to say Jesus. And you're right. I'm going to say Jesus. But it's not just accepting Jesus as your Savior. See, I I know there's a, a lot of People that mistakenly believe that if you accept Jesus, all your problems are going to disappear. I've got news for you. The moment I accepted Jesus is when my problems really started. Because up until then, the enemy of my soul didn't really care a whole lot. But all of a sudden, a warrior for the kingdom of God, now you're going to face a fight. And right now in our lives, the greatest thing you can do is accept Jesus as your Savior because just like in the story of this bridegroom, we have all run out of wine. That's what the story is symbolic of, that the Israelites in their old sacrificial system, it was inadequate, could never do it could never be good enough, could never be right enough, could never obey all the laws enough. But Jesus came, and he says, hey, you've fallen short, but I'm here. And we need to accept that. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, the reason he came and died and lived a perfect, sinless life was because you couldn't do it. And just like the bridegroom, we've all fallen short. But he came and he died for you. And and to accept him is to be forgiven, to get new wine, to know that your eternity is secured. But there's so much more than just accepting Jesus as your Savior. That's only the start. You see, the soul pain is not gonna be solved with you just accepting Jesus as your Savior. Yes, your eternity is secured, but there's more than that. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, it says, and I believe this is the answer. This is the answer for our problem of the soul. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will have rest for your souls. Anyone need that? Rest for your souls? I do. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's the answer for your soul? Come to me. Come to me. My wife gave a beautiful message last week. If you didn't listen to it, I urge you to go online and listen to it. You know, I think Greg referenced it this morning as well. What's your spiritual goal for the year? Come to me. You know, when I when I'm I'm going to be like you, Greg. I'm going to be transparent this morning. When I got married, for me. It was as though I got married, and I went, okay, check, got that off the list. I know some of you are just like, I can't believe that's our pastor. But that's the way it felt. Like, it was like, okay, came, saw, conquered, and now moving on. And I have to tell you, for the first two years of our marriage, (sighs) except for God, we would not be together. The only thing that kept us together were our vows. That was it. Because I checked it off the list, and now is on to my career. And can you imagine um, what those two years might have been like behind closed doors? Not pretty. I thought the honeymoon was bad, and it was. But, the, I mean, this is not, not a surprise to my wife. She knows this. We, we laugh about it all the time. But those first two years, after those two years, I, I had to go to her. And I had to, I had to wash her feet physically and metaphorically and say, I am sorry. I am sorry. I was, I I have failed you in these two years. I was not coming to her. See, I checked it off the list. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians and other places, that there are people who come to the Lord, and that's as far as they ever go. And it says that there will be a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment, there will be those who, it says that they, they come into heaven as if they've escaped a fire. But they have nothing to show for it. They have no treasures. They have nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. Because all they did was just accept Jesus as their Savior. But they never came to him. Come to me. It's more than just checking it off of a list. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, he he wrote, he made a statement And he was talking to some young men. And they were about to get married. And he made this statement. He said, you think that your love will sustain your marriage. It cannot. Wow, that's almost bad advice sounds like, right? You think your love will sustain your marriage. It cannot. But your marriage can sustain your love. In other words... That keeping of the covenant, keeping of your vows, that daily interaction and love to your spouse can sustain your marriage. It takes work. And sadly, there are times where both parties do not want to do that, and it ends in tragedy. And my heart breaks for those people that have to walk through that and walk in that. But in our relationship with the Lord, we have an obligation to daily come to Him. This is the only answer for the soul problem that we have when we fall short. That's it, it's the only answer. And I hope, you know, I hope you get that because here I am 30 years later. With my wife and I'll just say yesterday did not start out great it was a rough morning we had our moments as a matter of fact probably until about noon or 1 we were kind of but we said let's go for a hike and we have learned that sometimes you need need to break away from conflict and get a new perspective. And we went up on a mountain and overlooked a beautiful landscape and felt the presence of the Lord, made a snowman, snowwoman, sorry. And it was wonderful. Uh, 28 years ago, we wouldn't have done that. We would have fought for three days. But because we have learned through the daily living of life To hug each other, kiss each other, hold each other, pray with each other. We've learned through coming to each other that we can have an amazing relationship that creates a security that's otherworldly. And that's the way it is with Jesus. It's not something to check off your list. Do you daily come to Jesus? I mean, do you on a daily time and place come to Jesus? Because it's those rituals, it's it's those anchors, it's those moments that when your soul is empty, your soul is weary, you feel like a failure, it is those moments that you have paid the price daily that will sustain you. It's not the magic wand. It is the daily investment in your relationship with Jesus that will sustain you. And listen, listen. There was no magic moment when 2020 changed to 2021. Hate to break it to you. But you know, what can change? Our hearts. What can change? Our desire. What can change is our disciplines. That can change. And you may find yourself at the end of 2021. More in love with Jesus because you've made those commitments to spend time with him, to get to know him. It is the only thing that has allowed my wife and I to have the amazing marriage we have today is not because we checked something off of a list, but it's because we daily spent time with each other. So, listen, make a commitment to it. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Wow. Yeah, I think that kind of fits the bill for a lot of us right now. I know for me, I'm weary. It's been a long, tough year. I've had to say goodbye to some friends, had to bury some people that I love deeply. It's been hard. Jobs are sometimes impossible. Our debt is sometimes unimaginable. Our physical health sometimes is failing. Relationships may seem hopeless. And we are weary and burdened. And yet Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Translation, all of you, who are out of wine, come see me. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. you do me a favor, worship team, you guys can come on up. Would you just take out your element of communion, just kind of have it ready and carefully begin to open it? Spill your coffee if you need to. or I do it all the time. Truly, my soul finds rest in you. In God alone. This is David speaking in his suffering, in his pain, in the desert. And at the very end of it, when he had no more wine... He found rest in God and in God alone. Why was he a man after God's own heart? It certainly wasn't because he lived a perfect life. But he ran after God. Seven times a day I will seek you. Early in the morning I will rise and worship you. This is not someone that checked anything off a list. This is someone that had a dynamic, intimate relationship with God. And in that moment when he was in pain and suffering and empty, and he was looking at the vat of empty wine, he says, I find my rest in you and you alone. And then there's the miracle the miracle of new wine. Just bow your heads for a moment. Wherever you are, whether you're here, whether you're online, whether you're listening sometime in the future. For all I know, my grandchild might be listening to this message. Sometime in the future. God loves you. Jesus saw your situation and he knew when he did that first miracle he was throwing a gauntlet down he was saying suffering come on and yet he loved his mom but he loved that bridegroom and he was not willing to let that bridegroom be a failure not willing to let that bridegroom break his contract, his covenant. And so when he couldn't meet the need, Jesus stepped in and said, I gotcha. And maybe you're here today and you've never even heard of Jesus. See, Jesus was God who became man and because we had this sin seed in our heart, we could never have access to God again. We could never live with Him for eternity because of the sin inside of us. And it would take the shedding of blood, there's only forgiveness through the shedding of blood, and, and it was just not cutting it. It was never meant to cut it. The sacrifice of animals, it was only a foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice who would come. And He came. Jesus came to this earth. And He lived that sinless life, that perfect life. And He died for you and for me. But that wasn't the end of the story. To prove that He was God, The Father raised the Son from the dead. He is the resurrected Jesus, who says to you, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. This morning, if you've never received that, but you just want to say, I trust Jesus as my Savior, that's you this morning, wherever you're at, whether you're looking at a screen, whether you're looking at a phone, whether you're in this room, just, would you just look at me for a moment. If that's you, you want to make that decision today. Wherever you're at, I want you to just pray this prayer. It's a simple prayer. Just close your eyes and, and in your heart say these words. Jesus, I love you, I I feel you today, I've never felt this before but I feel it now, you are more real to me than I could have imagined, thank you that I don't have to be perfect, I don't have to be sinless because you were and you allow me to have your righteousness and I receive that today. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive your free gift. I become your son today. I become your daughter today. And I'm not gonna just check it off the list, but I am gonna come to you every day and walk with you. And I ask you to walk with me. I love you, Jesus, and I commit my life to you in your name, amen you prayed that prayer you have crossed from death to life and I would love to know it just maybe put it in the chat bar or you can text me 679-2478 get a hold of the church our website ChristCenterCashmere.com we don't want you to be alone on the journey if you're here today, come talk to me But I want you to just take this, these elements. Remember who took part in the miracle? You remember who took part in the miracle way back when we first started? The servants did. The servants took part in the miracle. That's not accidental. There's a reason why John put that there. Remember he said, my hour has not yet come? If you go to the end of John, in chapter 13, in the place where all the other Gospels have the Lord's Supper. John does not put the Lord's Supper there. You've already seen it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But let me tell you what the Lord's Supper really is. By this time, he had seen a lot of church life and a lot of gossip and a lot of anger and a lot of division. And he said, let me demonstrate for you what the Lord's Supper really is. It's about loving others and laying down your life for them. So let me show you what that's like. It says, when the hour had come. That's how it starts. When the hour had come. Way back, John said, my hour has not yet come. Well, now it's come. It says that he took off his outer garment, tied a towel around his waist, got a basin of water, basin of water. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he got to the end of that, and he said, you have called me teacher, rightly so, for I am your teacher. I am your rabbi. I am your leader. But I am a servant. And what you've seen me do with all of you, I want you to do that with everyone else. Wash each other's feet. See, that's what communion is all about. It's about Jesus ultimately making us clean and laying down His life for us and washing us. Love God. Love others. That's what John was saying. Because if, if you think you love God but you're not loving others, you're not loving because by its very nature, you will love others. And so as we take communion this morning, I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to invite you to just take the elements on your own. But as you do, I want you to think about the people in your life that you could wash their feet. I want you to think about what Jesus has done for you. When you're out of wine, he comes through. And now he's asking you to do that for others. The same thing he's done for you, he's asking you to now go and do for others. Let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for turning water into wine. Lord, we take these elements today, and first and foremost, we thank you that when we fell short on the covenant, you did not. You fulfilled it. And we honor you, and we thank you, and we praise you. And Lord, now we ask that you would empower us to do what you called us to do, to love others, to wash their feet, and sometimes they're stinky. You say even love your enemies. It's not always easy to do, so God, we need your Holy Spirit in us. We need your power to do it. So we thank you and we ask for your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and at your own leisure, take the elements. And you need God to show up in a power. And God wants to show up. And If that's you today, I want you to just be bold and just raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you. Now, if you need it, just raise your hand. It's okay. Don't be ashamed. Raise it high and wave it loud. I need it. <laughs> if you're online. if You're out running, listening to this. Raise your hand. God, we need you today. You say to be being filled with your Holy Spirit, continual process. And God, there's some of us today that while you may not remove the disruption, you're gonna use the disruption to move us ahead. And God, we give you our future. Do with us as you will. We ask for one thing and one thing only, and that is the abiding presence of your Holy Spirit to empower us. Equip us, enable us. We need that new wine today. I need that new wine. So I pray you would pour it out on anyone who would raise their hand and say, I need that. Pour it out now in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Believe you did it. Expect to hear miracles. Expect to hear testimonies because you are a faithful God. And now we choose to worship you. Just stand wherever you're at. and Let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Worthy